boys and girls, laughing time is here. That's right, it's the student body special edition of Kill by Kill. Greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from Lamab High School or as close as I could possibly get to a non-existent high school location somewhere deep in the middle of Texas. And this is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We will be unpacking all the gory details of 1981's spooftacular student bodies for this happy April Fool's Day edition of our podcast in the hopes that a horny couple's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make about them. And as always, the one person that I trust to help me in this effort is a young woman who once confided in me that humor podcasts make her horny. It's the one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? I, I, I had it. I had a response to your introduction and I'm now rendered speechless. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I am sitting here the equivalent of dot, dot, dot. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> I'm I'm only working with the material that I've been given by this motion picture. I, I'm kind of more stuck at you describing me as a young woman, but but I'll I'll take it. <laughs> hey, you know what? That's there the best. Go. That's the best thing I've heard all week. I there mean, the go. other half of that, I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna leave that unremarked upon. <laughs> sure. That no one's no one's forcing you to confirm or deny that rumor. Uh, and as always, we love to bring on a guest, and this is a returning guest to us. He, you of course know him from the Deep in Bear Country podcast, the one and only Phil Gonzalez. How you doing, Phil? I just wanted to point out that I thought that humor podcasts were the leading cause of swine flu. <laughs> I mean, there's a causal link. We don't know that there's causation, but I, I can see it. Yeah, That's what my insane uh, psychiatrist pointed out. <laughs> Was that, oh. would, he, would that be the psychiatrist who was once arrested for corrupting the morals of a hooker? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let's get right down to it because uh, we're breaking our normal format uh, for this uh, ha- you know, Happy Fool's Day or April Fool's Day. Why do we keep Happy saying Fool's Happy Day, Fool's everyone. Day, everyone? Happy Fool's Day, everyone. <laughs> April Fool's Day edition of the Kill by Kill podcast. Normally you'd be saying, oh, wait a second, I want you to make fun of this terrible movie released by Paramount in 1985. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've got a pretty middling to good comedy release by Paramount in 1981 I'd like to talk to you about. It's called Student Bodies. Um, This film is not super widely known. I first encountered it, and probably the only place I encountered it, was on USA Up All Night. Mm -hmm. Oh. Either USA Up All Night or Night Flight. One of those late night USA, you know, let's fill up the airtime with stuff and see who comes and watches it sort of programs. And where did either of you first encounter student bodies? Um, Probably Night Flight. That sounds about right. Um, I mean, I definitely remember watching it with my mom and and just thinking that this was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. I mean, we all we watched all like Airplane and and and. Which this obviously seems to have taken a page from, and yes, and I think that you really—I I hate to fall back on the whole—you have to have been born a certain time to really appreciate and know this movie. But I think that the window to really remember and appreciate student bodies is being born between 1970 and maybe 1978. <laughs> <laughs> Any time before that and after that, you just get like static you get blank stares they they're they're vaguely aware that it exists but they've never seen it yeah there's a distinct golden age mad magazine flavor to yes it. and it's also mm-hmm. a direct response to airplane because that had come out just the year before so paramount is feeling its oats here like oh this is a something that we can do and with the writer's strike quickly approaching what better time to start, you know, a writer-free sort of film, like a comedy. You know, there's very little writing having to do with a comedy film. So yeah, like, let's put some money into this, throw some people in Texas for four weeks and see what happens. Now, they recruited Mickey Rose, whose name maybe not everyone knows, but he was 
the writing partner of Woody Allen. So he was a writing partner with Woody on his early 70s spoofs. So there's a pedigree here. You have a person who was on uh, Take the Money and Run and Bananas and What's a Tiger Lily. Like, he knows his chops. And you can definitely feel the moments in this movie where a professional comedy writer is on set and paying attention. Well, and also with the voice of the breather, um, uh, who's the uh, who's the actor, the the guy who played the breather? I can't think of his name. Well, there is the, there seems to be a a, a dispute. There are some I, I, the limited amount of websites that talk about it says claims that it is Richard Belzer, but Wikipedia oh, hmm. does not have lists um, Jerry Belson, who is a uh, was a, a comedy writer. Yeah. So, but he's right. credited as Richard Brando, which is apparently, which is either way a, uh, a hilarious gag. It doesn't sound like Richard Belzer, but 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 who knows? I'm thinking it's one of those weird sort of you know pointless rumors that someone started and kind of picked up from it. Well, I was going like, to say there was you know, a lot of there's a lot of like leftover Catskills type humor with the yeah. breather, like oh, I'd like to kill the kid with the gum, like <laughs> that. It, it, it gets covered over a little bit because of all the shenanigans going on around it. But when you there's points in the movie where I'm like, this is the this is the comedy stylings of someone who's like waggling their eyebrows and shaking a cigar in your face. Like it's oh well, there it's, was that it, whole there's that whole scene where he stops the the action to talk about well who could I be right right and he, he he makes a little like kind of gag about each character and literally follows it up with like, with a. a a high hat, like a rim a, shot. Yeah, a little rim shot. Like, like Miss LeClaire, English teacher by day and English teacher by night. No, it's the, <laughs> damn it's good the, uh, the personality. What is all the personality of a parking meter? The intelligence of a handball and the, and the personality of a parking meter violated. Violated, yep. <laughs> it's that like, nah, like it's such a great... <laughs> I guess this is proof how old I am that like I I got I, I guffawed at that this time like I've seen the movie a million times and I was still like violated <laughs> or like Mrs. Van Dyke like what's in a name everything, everything. <laughs> <laughs> like that's good comedy <laughs> yeah there's a, there's an urbane uh, you know uh, liberal TV writer voice going on here yes. where there are sections. Where, you know, someone's saying to Malvert, you know, it's okay. You'll go to prison. I think you'll get along with those boys. I mean, homosexuality. People say it's the future. And <laughs> it, there's not a lot of judgment there. There's, it's almost like I read this in The New Yorker and I'm making a joke about it sort of situation. Conversely, you also have the oldest of the old tropes of a blind guy and a guy <laughs> in a wheelchair trying to scam one another. For reasons unknown, it's just bl- this. But the blind guy seeing eye dog drives him to school. That's comedy. That's comedy gold. The car pulls up and there's a dog driving it, and there's a blind guy next to him. Nothing's funnier than that. Um, no, I, I I disagree. I think someone disguising his voice by talking through a rubber chicken is, is much funnier than that. And then calling it out. Oh my god. So they... I grew up with this movie. Yeah. This movie my sister probably was the one who rented it because she loved renting like horror movies. This is back in like the when we first got our VCR like in the early to mid 80s. Mm-hmm. And she grabbed this movie off the shelf and we watched this thing like so many times by the time I was in junior high like I could just recite this film. <laughs> and I thought I thought like Airplane it was an established comedy because I had no like context. Right. So I would bring it up throughout my life and people would be like, I've never heard of this stupid movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> and it was as much a part of like my comedy upbringing as, as yes, anything. Yes, yes. Because you're right. It, it was very much like Mad Magazine. Like it was smart in places and stupid in places. And exactly. funny. When that dog meows like a cat <laughs> and then farts on a tree, <laughs> that is funny. Oh, I mean, there are sequences in that that are – that I find – so fucking funny that I'm not really sure are like when the mom and dad come home and she's absolutely funny. I can't, I can't believe this is happening for 75 cents an hour, 75 cents an hour. (laughs) And then later at the funeral, she's like, here's her full pay. Here's her, here's her pay. 65 cents an hour. Just as we agreed. Uh, That is, that's comedy writing. 
when the dad finds the piece of chicken that the babysitter has <laughs> dropped on the floor, it's in two pieces. He's like, oh, chicken, it's broken. And he takes this rubber band, puts it around it, and puts it back in the refrigerator. You're like, ooh, that's a voice. That's that's too specific to be random. And it's too random not to be specific. It's, and it's not just well, the writing. It's it's, and, and for someone who, like, didn't grow up with this, like, this was 1981. Like, slasher films were barely out of their infancy like as far as like the friday the 13th go and you you're they're already dealing in tropes and stereotypes that were just like you got like they they were so established that they were this time watching it through there's aspects of this movie that are pitch perfect as far as the lighting and the camera setup just the way dialogue scenes are shot i was like oh they know what cheap horror films look like and not by yes. accident like this is it's done really well yeah right like they they drag out certain scenes like the endless flight of stairs yes. that he's climbing up in the house which i'm sorry that is one of the funniest goddamn things i've ever seen because it takes forever to the point where he actually comments oh these stairs <laughs> and it's just a whole thing where he's just he's just endlessly climbing and like his boots are making this really gross squishing noise and then like apparently the entire top half of the stairs is just covered in chewing gum right. and he just it just keeps going and going and eventually he just like pulls his feet out of the boots and leaves them there and keeps or the, going the sheer the sheer volume of garbage that's falling under the bleachers that goes yeah. unremarked yeah. on that just I die every time I see it cuz there's just it's just this waterfall of garbage falling from between the seats. And I'm like, this is great. This is the funniest thing in this movie now. <laughs> it's like a garbage machine. It's crazy. Right. <laughs> but it's it's so it's such a specific thing that's not it's that's not specifically aimed at the movie they're trying to parody. Right. And yet feels perfectly at place uh, in terms of its comedic voice. So and sort of blending those things. You know, the movie starts out with a gag that sets the tone. And that is establishing shot on a White House. Looks vaguely South Pasadena, even though it isn't. But it sets a very specific visual tone. And the it superimposed underneath, Halloween. Blackout. Come back up to the same house. Superimposed. Friday the 13th. Blackout. Back up. <laughs> Jamie Curtis's birthday movie right. begins. Now that is telling your audience, I know what you've watched. We're going to make fun of that. And then there's just going to be a bunch of silly jokes in there on top of it. But the beginning plays a lot like when a stranger calls, including where she's stationed in in the living room uh, on a couch and then plays off of that. So I think the sequences that really work best when it's a parody are we're going to aim at a very specific movie and here is this movie and we're going to parody it like airplane which had to pay for the royalties of zero hour because it uses a lot of that script the plot is exactly the same it's all the jokes that are peppered in and twisting it along the way that make it a comedy and here it it works to a fucking t the opening tease is comedic gold for the first 10 to 15 minutes i mean it is fucking awesome yeah he there's a scene where he he's trying to find a weapon and he opens yeah. the roll top <laughs> desk and it's just a display of a gun a knife a noose a box of rat poison i think it was yes yeah. yeah, the first it, one an axe and then he what does he choose he chooses a box of paper clips <laughs> and then takes forever to open up the paper clip, <laughs> the paper clip. Into, <laughs> into a weapon <laughs> so super prolonged in this movie and and normally like i i call that like the family guy kind of comedy which it doesn't always work mm-hmm. but like where it, it's funny and then it goes on so long that it stops being funny but then it gets funny again because it just it just doesn't stop and, and he just yeah. he's just painstakingly trying to pen this paper clip into a weapon well i was gonna say a lot of the a lot of the parody too, like the specific like style parodies, because slasher films were so in their infancy, I was really noticing that it really called to many different kinds of like 1970s like grindhouse horror. Uh, mm-hmm. But even uh, like the Italian giallo films, especially the, the weird psychedelic ending of the movie, 
was like very much brought to mind like uh like Suspiria and films like that. These like mm-hmm. everything's goes off the rails. And I think like it's one of those movies where the more experience you have with different kinds of horror, the more little things you pick up on. And to me that's tipping like tipping its hand the fact that this was made by someone uh, a little bit older and more experienced with film in general. All the joke making chops are there so those elements hit, you know, all comedy is hit and miss. But there's a pretty high ratio for a vast majority of the film until they get to the third act where they they have to like, oh, let's fi- let's figure out a way for the plot to end. That's yeah, when it suddenly becomes it, it, it suddenly gets like tries to seem to want to get legitimately sinister. Yeah, it, it yeah. gets very weird. Like, like yeah. the 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 principal with the with the I love New York. Is that supposed to be written on his chest, or is that supposed to be a tattoo? <laughs> I was I asked myself <laughs> that this morning. <laughs> and then like the um. Now, now, granted, at I love New York was still a funny joke at that time. Like that, yes. it was still a relative. It was it was a relatively young campaign, so. And they're all like chasing her down the hallway, and like the old lady secretary's in a trash can just rolling yeah. down the hallway. <laughs> it's like, okay, what the fuck is happening? This is weird. I'm not sure what to think of it at this point. <laughs> and then it was a dream, but then it wasn't, and yeah. And then yeah, it becomes I, it, like the Wizard of. It becomes like the Wizard of Oz. Yes, which is a great ending again. Like, <laughs> should have probably I, ended there. Is my guess they wanted to go for the carry ending. Carry ending, yeah. Spoiler alert for student bodies: it gives you a, a carry ending, probably because not only was carry so prolific, but now the scare ending was becoming a thing uh, mm-hmm. with Friday the Thirteenth. So that's a specific aim, and I that's one that maybe I'm not so thrilled at. But that's a structural problem, as opposed to when the <laughs> There are some lines in this thing that are fucking amazing. When the boyfriend comes to over to the babysitter uh, <laughs> while she's babysitting, we never see the kids. He comes into the bedroom and she asks him, "Are you clean?" And he goes, "Yeah." She goes, "Seriously? When was the last time you take a sh- you took a shower?" He goes, "It doesn't matter. You can't wash away herpes." And I'm like. <laughs> That's fucking funny. That's a funny oh, joke. I thought you were gonna say, uh, like, after she's been killed, he like gets into bed with her. He's like touching her. He's like, he's like, he's like, you're not responding to my maleness. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of oddly prescient jokes in this that I feel uh, it just must have been the zeitgeist of the time that we are now repeating, like the shop teacher who is confronted with a busing student. This busing student is from Africa. It's taken him to the end of the year to get there because he's coming from Africa. And (laughs) the guy, he goes, that's, that's weird. And the, the, the busing student says, well, it is the law. And he goes, well, you're going to see now with the people in charge we have, that's all going to change. You know, he's talking about Reagan. Right. But it sure feels like he's talking about now. <laughs> like, oh, it all. Comes I was, back I was a little shocked when they put they they put. I was a little shocked they put that character in a trash bag to like check to see if he could how fast he could get out of it, and then he's like rolling around and just like collapses and dies. And then like no one says anything. What is the deal with uh, now? This is interesting to me that only women are killed in fascinating ways. And dudes yeah. are just put in garbage bags. Like three ply well, hefty bags. <laughs> men are garbage. That is what this whole film is like. Uh, men are garbage. <laughs> like there's no you don't get something special. You don't get something odd. Like every dude gets stuffed into a garbage bag it, and you just die. Except Mr. Duncan. Mr. Duncan got hit on the head with the uh with the case for the, the chainsaw. But again, like he there were a couple of kills in here. Well, the 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 busing student was not even killed by the killer, but uh, the uh, it was making this weird commentary about horror films in general that I didn't realize until I was older was a really old like attitude about horror films, which is that they punish you for sex and that it's 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 heavily on the women to pay yes. the price for having sex. Like that was something that that as a like I didn't know went back as far as the late 70s, but obviously it it, it did. Like people were already complaining about this. It's sort of weird because we have primarily up until this point examined Friday the 13th. And while Friday the 13th obviously is is steeped in that you have sex and you die aesthetic, 
because of the central point of the first film. They were supposed to be watching Jason. They were making love. He drowned. Now you all have to pay. And the repercussions of that go throughout. But the, the, the counselors in Friday the 13th are demonstrably older. They've all had sex. There are no yeah. virgins who are, live until the end until you kind of get into seven and eight. And those, and those you know, final girls are more like, uh, I had something traumatic happen to me when I'm young, so I'm sort of frozen in a specific state. They're not, I'm not having sex because sex is wrong. That's not really a Friday the 13th thing. And yet, this is so steeped in people's belief of what the movie is that it, it automatically goes into here where your your final girl, as it were, is constantly trying to stop all of her quote-unquote friends, whom we never see her interact with. Right, she never talks to any of them. <laughs> we, I, I think it is distinctly possible she is not friends with any of these fucking people. She just does not want them to have sex. And... Yeah, she is. She is introduced wearing a pin that says no. Yeah, and, and then on her bra. Yeah, and then and then yeah, and then she she has a pin on her bra that says for the last time I said no, <laughs> which I honestly didn't pick up on until this time when I watched it. I just never paid attention to her button. Yeah, uh, but yeah, oh, it's yeah. Uh, it really does trade on the whole like the virgin survives to the end, and I think that's a Jamie Lee Curtis thing. Like I think. She like because of Halloween, like there was this notion that that there was the virgin who survived to the end. But it's something I've always pointed out about Friday the 13th is Friday the 13th was pretty scattershot as far as like who dies, like older people die, younger people die. It's whoever's in the way. I mean, we're at the point in part five where the vast majority of the people who do die are just randos who wander into frame have nothing to do with the central plot. <laughs> and, and, and in fact, he does not even kill the person who is who is primarily responsible for the death that he is avenging, which is just baffling. Yeah. Well, and what's really funny is that 15 years after Student Bodies, the same jokes and tropes we played in with Scream, mm-hmm. uh, going so far as to starting, starting with the babysitter, but also the main character is a virgin who, if she has sex, is going to die at the end. And... Like I think that, that like considering that Scream was pretty much that generation's student bodies, um, as far as like being a full length motion picture that's just there to comment on slasher films, I just think it's funny that this that this idea, this concept of the virgin who survives to the end, just kept going around and around pop culturally, regardless of whether or not it was true. Obviously, there it is so pervasive that it's just part and parcel it's just something that happens and so that's what this does we're introduced to um and this is something that i think goes back to uh a direct comment to friday the 13th because at that point only one friday the 13th had been introduced Mm -hmm. and that is a litany of red herrings (laughs) here's the murder mystery element of this slasher film and all of the red herrings we're aiming pretty much at all of the staff at LaMab High School, which I kept struggling with. What is the joke here? Yeah, I, 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 I too. I'm I, like, is that a is that a like a anagram or is it supposed to, if you they put it with in, they filmed in Lamar, Texas? Yeah, I and think I'm they wondering just if to they just the cheaply R. wanted. To, oh, okay, okay. They wanted to change the R and because LaMab they couldn't change the all the signs version. in the school. Because this, you see LaMab on things, and I'm wondering if they just, like, painted the R <laughs> into a B in a few shots. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's very odd. We have a, we have a principal who is, uh, wants the spotlight for himself. He has this dowager assistant who, I don't really know what her position in the school is otherwise, other than to prop up his ego. Uh, we have a nurse who knows a lot about death. Nurse Crud. Uh, her, name, have... her name is Nurse Crud. Nurse Crud. <laughs> uh, That's funny. <laughs> we have uh, we have a science teacher, uh, Mrs. Van Dyke, who and that sequence when she's talking about frog penises. Is, <laughs> yes, that's, that's a clinic, man. That's fucking funny. <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Van Dyke gets another one of my favorite drawn out scenes when when the phone rings and they're all standing in the office and she's like, 
I'll get it. I'm farthest from the phone. And then I think it's the, the secretary. She's off screen. Says that makes sense. Right. And, it's like this eighty yard in line just to just to jump on the joke a little further. And then she she like painstakingly sits down and lifts her feet up on the desk before answering the phone. And I just love that scene so much for no reason that I can even come close to articulating. Because I, the line "I'll get it. I'm the furthest from the phone." comes on the tail end of like a wholly a completely unrelated conversation like they didn't have to throw that joke in there but it works so well because it just it's just there i don't know that's a beautiful line i just love the response that makes sense (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i mean i think that goes back to i think mickey rose he, because he was writing with Woody Allen, I wonder if he was also. I'm just speaking extemporaneously. I don't know the answer to this. Oh. I wonder if he was a writer on Get Smart because there's there's an element to this that you see a lot in Get Smart of randomness met yeah. with uh, a way to get plot across while also delivering a joke. And here it's just he's because it's R rated. He's allowed to be more ribald with it, and you you get to get to see that a lot more in, in the sexual nature of the jokes. Okay, and then we have our shop teacher, uh, who is obsessed with horsehead bookends. He is Joe Joe Flood is I I wish his performance in this movie was considered one of the great comedy performances because he is so committed to this yeah. stupid role. Every time he's on screen, he's just living this guy. And it, he's been in a million things. If you look at his credits, like he's got just like TV appearances and stuff everywhere. But uh, he, uh, he, this is his first screen credit and he nails it. Like he just, he gets why it's funny and never stops. He never lets up. The, the scene, and it's just a cutaway joke. When, when the principal is is making an address over the announcer system, and you you cut to him, and he's lathing his hair, <laughs> right. and you're like, holy shit! The, he, the, like Mickey Rose has decided, like I've got a lot of shop teacher jokes, and I'm just gonna use all of them. How about I use all of them? And yeah, it's a really great character because. It's so intense and it's so unnecessary in so many ways. But but, but his scene where the where the uh, where the busing student arrives, like that whole bit, like when I'm trying to sell people on this movie, I just send them that clip. I'm like, <laughs> if you don't find the horsehead bookend scene funny, like you won't like the rest of the movie. But this is pretty much it. It's weird and it's spoofy, but it's also just like legitimately funny and it's character based, but it's also non sequitur. It's just, mm-hmm. it's all over the place. And that one scene with the horse head bookends, just, it just, it just clicks. Um, the one thing I really like here at the funeral of the first two victims in the cold open of the movie uh, <laughs> is that the entire high school has been gathered there. The principal is talking because that's what would be appropriate. And while it's very sad for him, it's probably also sad for the parents. Maybe is his line and uh he says it would be it would it would be difficult if this didn't also land on the day of the big game and the big dance (laughs) and he just lists like 16 things and they're all like the big events that horror movies were now being based around yeah prom night and (laughs) night school and you know like it has to valentine's day uh Everything is based around an event in the aftermath of Halloween. And so he's just listing all of these things to sort of immunize the 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 movie for all of the lunacy it continually throws at it. For example, right after the funeral, we go to the big parade in which we see two of the classmates of LaMav High School, one on top of a float with an empty, with a hollow bowl. On yeah. top of a mountain of I don't even know what. And he decides to get out of the car that's hauling that float, go up to this girl and say, oh, let's get inside and let's have sex. And she's like, really? Now? Here? And he's like, well, yeah, baby, don't you know? Uh, hollowed out bulls make me horny. Yeah. And he's like, what? This yeah, and, and yeah, and then 
the other character says funerals make him horny, and then another a third character says garbage makes him horny. <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 parade sequence on that. There's the the like the homecoming queen float in the parade, and uh, it has there's you see like two teenage girls and then one teenage boy in a very tight Dr Pepper shirt. <laughs> but but by the way, Dr Pepper is the sponsor of this movie dr pepper is everywhere yes but uh the announcement which i had just never paid attention to before it says meet patty priswell joan d'amico and barry our boy queen candidate <laughs> and that's it and you see this boy like waving there's no comment on it yeah. i mean it is it it borders on on a gay joke but because it doesn't overly step its bounds Right. You could still make the. I think that joke actually might still in. I mean, w- listen, I'm the l- the last straight guy should be making a de- determination of what exactly might be queer baiting in this movie because I think it might step over a few times. But th- I think that joke still lands because you're not making a big deal out of it. It's just something right. that's happening. Well, and what's a boy queen? Like we don't understand like they don't <laughs> they don't go out of their way to dramatization. It's it's because there's so much randomness in the movie. I don't know how to describe it. There's not like a mean a mean bone in this film's body, which is why at the end when it gets really dark, it feels kind of out of left field because all of a sudden you're like, "Oh, this is getting kind of weird." Mm-hmm. But the the rest of the time it's just so light and it just really just bobs along. Just everyone's such a in a moron in this film that you have trouble like <laughs> you have trouble like thinking that they're attacking anyone. It's just like, "Nope, this is just a stupid world and we're just making fun of all these stupid people." Let's uh, another one of the staff members who actually makes a late appearance. He's not predominant up front, but we're we're told once uh once Toby is forced to go into therapy because she's blamed for two of the deaths, she's she's found in you know with some of the, several of the dead bodies after the funeral and after the parade. Uh, she has to go to to therapy, and so we're introduced to Doctor Sigmund in yes. what is a five minute joke clinic because there's some shit in here that is both suit like super well written joke wise and then just physical humor when he pushes his chair back and hits the wall the wall <laughs> I, I i every time i see it i'm surprised by it and i'm like you know i'm like why don't i know that that joke's coming cuz it's so fucking funny it's just such an odd response to it. And then absolutely the best line for me in this sequence is when he says, what did your father tell you about sex? And Toby yes. responds, well, it was dirty and bad and I shouldn't do it. And, and what did your mom tell you about sex? That it was dirty and bad, but only with my father. That <laughs> is joke writing, people. Oh, Write I thought you were... I thought you were going to point out my favorite, well, my favorite, one of my favorite jokes from that five minutes. It's something that my sister and I used to repeat to each other because we just, it killed us every time. He asks her to think about something and she's like, no. She's like, oh, when I would be home with like, I can't remember the context, but she's like, with Yuck, my father. And he goes, your father's name was Yuck? Tell me about your father. Did you like Yuck? (laughs) <laughs> and the, the line tell me about your father did you like yuck was it, it happened so fast and he plays it so straight that it goes right over your head the first like time he says it i'm like wait she says yuck my father and he just says your father's name was yuck i don't know who this actor is but he's really good yeah he is he's so a, un- he a, undersells everything it's, yeah i mean it's talking to talk- leslie nielsen performance yes. of this movie oh yeah yeah, of yeah someone totally. who completely understands the exact dry tone to take you're in a comedy you just don't realize you're in a comedy everything you do will be funnier and he's probably the best at it in this film and as far as i can tell student bodies is his only credit yeah, student bodies is the only credit of a lot of people a lot of these this. people yeah you were saying phil that uh you and your sister pretty much adopted your, your your father's name is yuck as, as part of your yeah. vernacular as like a, as like an in joke i think i should i showed this movie to my best friend when we were probably about 15 or 16 and and ever since then this is this is a very long time ago we have we still to this day use the phrase click did you hang up no i just said click because that was just the most 
and then again, as you say, they they call it back later. She turns the Joker. Mrs. Van Dyke turns the joke around on him, yeah. and she's like, "I got him." Because she did the whole, <laughs> the whole the same fucking joke again, and it's still funny the second time. Because there's there's a couple of things that fall flat, like the the scene where he's spying on the girls in the locker room goes and gets really uncomfortable and goes on quite a bit too long for like a what's essentially just a masturbation joke a few of those a few of the like that's when it gets like okay like i don't really it's not funny in and of itself and those are the kind those are the times even when i was a little kid and would watch it i'm like i don't understand what's happening i don't understand what he's doing and there's not much of a payoff at the end i I think the one place where it's debatable whether or not it's mean or it doesn't exactly know how to use what it has comes down to malvert Hmm. or as he's better known the stick because this is where you obviously have have someone who is using a physicality like the scene in the pro at, at the dance when he is reaching between his legs from the back <laughs> yes. and reaching over his head with one his he is so physically crazy looking and yet he's rubbery and the way he's able to use his body is pretty unique but I think they use him as a ugly prop and as a cheap joke, like the fact that he pees in the in the principal's office because it used to be a bathroom is kind of like uh, okay. Well, I, I, I yeah, I mean, it's definitely watching it from an adult point of view now. It's like mm, kind of making fun of the mentally challenged guy here, okay. But then, it, of course, the 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 gag that turns out around at the end is the the Wizard of Oz gag in which. All of the characters are actually complete opposite of how she had perceived them to be in her dream. Yes, like the 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 principal is what is he supposed to be? Is he supposed to be the janitor? I He's think? now the janitor. Yes, and um the and then Mr. Dumpkin, the shop teacher, is a is a French teacher with a really broad Parisian accent, and right. like the 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 prom queen is the nerdy girl, and Malvert is the he's a he's like the, he's supposed to be like a philosophy teacher. And yeah, she he has an des- English accent. She describes absurd. exactly. She describes how he was. He's like absurd. That's like his only line in that in that accent in the whole movie. So I mean, I, I think that the movie guess, kind of thought that well, you maybe we kind of pushed it a little bit with this unfortunate character. I never. It wasn't until like I listened carefully to them describing like he had an accident and that's why he is the way he is. But because the other characters are all so weird, he never stood out to me as being particularly mentally deficient or anything like as when I was a kid. Like I didn't think to me as a as a kid, I didn't pick up that he was supposed to be any less capable than any of the other adults in the movie. Yeah, he yeah, he was just another weirdo in the in the school. He had this body and I have to believe and I read an article about him because he is a mysterious like character like, person. Like not many people know much about the actor and I I never I I always got the feeling the actor was in on the joke. Like that was one of the questions that people like he's so good at using his body and like the whole like reaching around, reaching between the principal's legs to get his keys, like good at what he does. And in other guest appearances he did throughout his short, regrettably short life, um, that I have to believe that this was a guy who just, he lived his life like making people laugh with doing funny things with his body. And I felt oh, like the, sure, movie, sure. the movie felt like it was on his side. Like he, and he ended up saving the day at the end. Well, that's, yeah, that's true. I mean, and, and, and again, I don't, I don't think the, the movie was make it so the audience was to laugh at him, but again, he was just supposed to be another weirdo that, that might make audiences slightly uncomfortable, but, but so yeah. did, but so did Mr. Dumpkin and so did the principal. I mean, that, that right, the scene where the principal, takes his clothes off that's really fucking creepy (laughs) and he had that awesome blow-up doll girlfriend (laughs) which is a great sight gag and we also get treated to a lot of paramount stroking where the play that they're doing at the high school is grease (laughs) but they couldn't get the rights to the music so it's just the talking parts And so Toby dresses up as Bad Sandy, completely. Yes. <laughs> two condoms down her tube top in order to prop up her breasts. And then we're treated to the sound of two balloons moving whenever she walks anywhere. She walks. <laughs> for the rest of the third act. Like, it never gives that up. Even during the carnival of the soul sequence at right. the end. And you still hear that <laughs> as she walks around. It's always funny. <laughs> anything else that that really sticks out to you guys about this? 
well, we I, 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 plot to I, talk about. I, at least I love the scene um, when Mr. Duncan ends up getting killed and he is trying to, to talk the, the, the breather. He is credited as the breather. Um, yes. Out of killing him, and 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 he offers to to help him make learn how to make horse head bookends. And for some reason, I just love the the breather's reaction to this. He's like, <laughs> just like that's like the worst <laughs> idea. He's, and then he's like, well, I've got a nice K car. I just watched it yesterday. Yeah, right, right. And he's like, I only buy Japanese. <laughs> Jesus Christ, why am I That's laughing? That's an early 80s joke. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. But then again, in the whole dragging it out, like, he talks him into putting the chainsaw down and then oils it. And he's, like, rubbing it down with the oily rag. And then yeah, he just hits him over the head with the box with the chain. Then he put the chainsaw in. It's just, again, just a really prolonged gag that for some reason I'm just, just cracking up, like, tears springing to my eyes. I don't know why, but it just works for me. Well, that's in one of those scenes that always starts feeling like it's just going on. A like, the last 30 minutes of this movie is basically the prom. And... Mm. I'm always like, oh, wow, there's a lot of movie left, like, once they get to the prom. And just when the scenes start feeling like, okay, you're, this is dragging, you're carrying this out a little, they'll hit you over the head with a, just a brilliant little line or moment that just makes me forget, always forget, that the last third of the movie drags a little bit. And also the, sh the shop scene, like, after um, Patty, the prom queen... There's like the 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 boyfriend is going to have sex with her anyway, even though she's laying there dead. And he's got the oh. con he's got the con. He's like, well, I won't be needing this. And it's like, oh my god. Let me tell you how confusing this movie was to a little kid who didn't know anything about sex watching it the first time, because so many of the like so many of those jokes are dependent on at least having like a teenager's knowledge of what sex is. Mm -hmm. And there's this joke. When uh, the, 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 the teenage girl gets killed by the horse head bookend in the car, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, her boyfriend's like, he doesn't have any protection. So he's like, hold on, I'm going to go get something. Don't start without me. And then he runs off. She gets killed by the horse head. And then he comes back and she's laying in the back seat with her eyes crossed and her legs spread. And he goes, aw, you started without me. <laughs> and as a kid, I didn't know like that that was even supposed to be a joke. Like I didn't get what that even meant. And watching it now, it's fairly tasteless, but it's also pretty funny. I do love that he runs back to the car with an overfilled <laughs> shopping bag of of protection, making this only the second film that we have reviewed on this show that actually has teenagers using uh, protection when having sex. So one minor melodrama and one horror spoof. That's it. You also get to see a diaphragm and a condom stapled to a piece of poster board as a safe sex guide in the nurse's <laughs> office. <laughs> There's like a poster board behind him with like safe sex. And you just see like a, like a couple of diaphragms, an open condom, and a couple of other things like tacked to this piece of to this piece of poster board it's a delightful delightful thing to see as far as adventuresome <laughs> filmmaking is concerned there are a lot of scenes in this movie where almost half the cast is piled into a small room and you're just watching them not move at all and it's just coverage of them standing around delivering jokes and then yeah you plump it into farting corpse in the middle of them <laughs> Anything else that uh, we're missing here that you wanted to Well, discuss? we really haven't talked about how, I mean, given the, the thrust of our podcast, we really haven't talked about how he kills people. With an uh, eggplant. With an eggplant, <laughs> an eraser, paper clips. Horse head bookends. Horse head bookends. Uh, many, many, many garbage bags. And I guess and the eraser is supposed to be a, a red herring because you see the English teacher, English teacher by day, English teacher by night, clapping erasers at one point. So is that supposed to like make it seem like she might be the killer? Well, probably. I mean, and obviously the, the horse head bookends were supposed to be right. uh, kind of tied to Mr. Dumpkin. Yeah, I, I suppose it was. Yeah. I, I don't know what exactly the eggplant points to other than it's the... The eggplant seems to be none the worse for actually killing somebody. <laughs> well, you never see any... You don't see any injuries on her body either. And the eggplant is intact. So <laughs> she does seem pretty frightened about it. Yeah, I think someone threatening you with an eggplant is a frightening scenario. It <laughs> well, it's like, the, it's like the scene with the eraser. She's like, oh no, an eraser! <laughs> <laughs> 
Who gets killed by the eraser? That that uh, the is under the, the under the bleachers. Oh, that's right, that's right. And it's uh, and it's uh, what's his face? Who gets killed with the glove in his mouth? Oh, right, right. Yeah, I forgot about the glove in the mouth. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of oral things going on in this movie. With I think it's like it's shoved down people's throats. It's the cheapest way to kill someone, I think, on screen. You just have to have a thing hanging out of their mouth, and you get the true. idea. <laughs> Very true. But yeah, there's really I, no blood. No. Um, like you, like they point out in the monologue, the only reason it gets the R rating is because of the one. Yeah, word. the explanation as to what they had to do to get the R rating. That's that's pretty. That's a little Kentucky Fried Chicken movie going on there, or Kentucky Fried For Movie sure. going on yeah. there. Oh, I was going to say that, like. This movie has a lot, a very similar feel to the Kentucky Fried movie in the way it stacks on the gags, like even more so than I would say like Airplane. I think it feels, a lot of it feels like, hey, I'm a comedy writer and I love this sketch, so I'm going to work it into this movie, even if it doesn't really fit, like the psychiatrist's office, um, like their little exchange about uh, like, the killer could be anybody. Well then, you know, or it could be nobody. Well, it can't be nobody. We're any, like that whole like, like the little rundown like the little Abbott and Costello routine they have there's bits in this that feel like I'm a comedy writer I've got some bits it's my right to put them into this and see if they make people laugh and in that way it feels to me like more like Kentucky Fried Movie uh, and it could just, and also because it has that like late seventies like drive-in movie feel. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. And the guy uh, with the uh, you, how they got the R rating definitely reminds me of the what was it uh, the the popcorn you're eating has been pissed in or something like that. That just reminded yes, me yes. Of, of that that gag completely. Just this very non sequitur moment of a character who's not even in the movie just kind of stopping the action to explain something to the audience. Yeah, yeah it's a little bit Rocky Horror Picture Show, a skosh, a boob tube. Uh, there's yes. a couple things that they're drawing from here in terms of what what a spoof was at that specific moment, uh, and it's and it's done so much better. Like the fact that Scream started out as this kind of like before Wes Craven got his hands on it, Scream was just a spoof movie called, ironically, Scary Movie, and that they walked away from this this type of spoof. They were like, and I think this type of spoof movie was so much better done in the '70s and the early '80s. When you would get actors and just say, like, play it straight, just play it straight. And that's funny. And this movie walks that line so well between, like, having goofy actors playing goofy parts, but then getting, like, the teen characters who just play everything as deadpan and straightforward as possible. So... And, and knowing and having the, the, the intellect as a director to know that's where the comedy is. The comedy is in no one reacting as if this is bizarre, except insofar as the characters think it's bizarre. And only winking at the audience when it's absolutely appropriate to do so. I don't know. It, 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 play, it, it walks that line really well. Oh, yeah. I mean, with Scream, it's, it's very self-aware. Yeah. And the, the, the characters, you particularly... Jamie Kennedy's character seems to be acting as the audience surrogate who who understands what all these cliches mean and, and has to explain them to these characters, which would suggest that the character the other characters aren't familiar with horror movies. Which, which doesn't is make the strangest whole, thing in screen. Yeah, like. which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like he's explaining to them how a horror movie works, but uh, you tropes know, it, that obviously existed in 1981. Yeah, right, exactly, and and I feel that that that's a little more you know again winking at the audience whereas this one does wink at the audience but in a but in a kind of more lighthearted sort of way i guess for lack of a better way of putting it it's it's a very weird juxtaposition between what the spoof movie has now become compared to where it started out from because this is in the aftermath of of Kentucky Fried Movie and uh, of Airplane so there's a very specific aesthetic at play here which is we take this seriously as just yeah. random and goofy and funny in between, but we play it serious. Whereas now, the, in the aftermath of Scary Movie in particular, it opened the doors to this, we're random for the sake of random, and if there's any pop culture miasma that we can reference, yeah, we're just going to do reference humor. And I'm about as guilty as anyone else of referencing other things, but... I'm also not writing movie scripts probably for this reason. It's not that entertaining. This is entertaining because it shows a modicum of restraint so that when it goes off the rails, 
it does so momentarily for a very specific purpose, and then it's right back at it. And I also feel that that the the writers of this movie had a a, a general affection for the for, for the movies they were parodying, whereas now it's just sort of a little mean spirited in, in in the in the in what the uh, in what they're parodying and how they treat like the the endless celebrity guest appearances and and people that they're making fun of. It just seems all very, not punching down, but just very, like I said, mean-spirited, where this is, it's, it's just, this was just funny. The, the, I think yes, the problem is, is that they punch, but they don't really care if those punches land. It's like, right. if we keep punching, sooner or later we'll hit something. That's the, once again, Hollywood learns all the wrong lessons example here, which they view airplane as the reason it works is because of the volume of jokes not the quality of jokes they're in. And Airplane, while it has a high volume, was also metered after uh, screening after screening to actually leave pauses for the biggest jokes, which is yeah. why when you watch it now, there it occasionally feels like it's got 10 seconds of dead air. Yeah. Because, it was, <laughs> because otherwise people would laugh through jokes in the movie. They screened it enough times to know when to edit it so that you would get the rise and fall of the laughter. Here, you know, it's a little bit more scattershot, but there's still a level of restraint. Scary movie and the epic movie and all those of its sort that came after, um, not so much. And, and also not to sound like a prudish old lady, and, and not that this movie is entirely appropriate for children, but I also feel like, and certainly in terms of scary movie, that they are a lot quicker to go for the, the, the gross-out jokes. Yeah. Like, I, I, I remember watching the scene where she, the main character finally deigns to, to sleep with her boyfriend, and, and he is so built up, let's say, that he basically pins her to the ceiling with semen. And I'm like, nah, yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't this movie have semen coming out of a telephone receiver? It, it, it does. And, and <laughs> or is it drool? Because I think See, you could as argue. As a kid, it I thought way. it was supposed. Yeah. As a kid, I thought it was supposed to be drool. Now, when I watch it, I'm like, I don't think that's supposed to be drool. <laughs> yeah, but but they, they did get an R rating though. But I'm wondering, like, I I I don't know now. I, I could go either way. But for some reason, the the. It, the, the 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 similar gag in Scary Movie just bothered me more, and then I I think it was Scary Movie Two in which the guy gets like a dick through his ear like like when he's like he sure does <laughs> he sure does that's like he sure uh. does it's a great scene <laughs> no it's I think I think that's actually in Scary Movie One I think oh, they're okay. parodying Scream Two oh, okay <laughs> yeah he gets a dick shoved through his ear in the bathroom. <laughs> Which actually makes me laugh now because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> scary Movie 1. Scary Movie 1, and sorry to go off the rails, but Scary Movie Run is the one movie of those films that kind of still works because they are directly spoofing two specific films. And they had the rights to those films since it was the same studio that made them. Mm -hmm. And they mostly use a lot of the script, just like Airplane did. Like, they just... They just have the characters say the lines and you realize how absurd it is. And I think that when student bodies works in that regard, it's working because they're just kind of letting the absurdity just sort of get ratcheted up uh, of the situations you're you're dealing with. And they're not making fun of slasher films, just sort of saying, like, this situation's kind of weird and we're just kind of being weird with it. We, we We're not... We're not, it's not punching down that the later movies do. It's that they're just, they think they're better than these movies. And I think that Student Bodies is a good type of spoof where it's like, we don't think we're better than this, but don't you think this is kind of weird? And like, it's that, like, you're a comedy filmmaker. You're not better than anyone. And I, <laughs> and I think that comedy filmmakers kind of forget that sometimes. Exactly. That's, that's, that's perfectly put. Yeah. The, the whole, you know, we think, you know, we, we, we know you think these movies are, are crap audience. So let's just, you know, let's just, you know, you shit all over them because we know that's funny. It's like, well, no, I, I kind of enjoy these. And I, and I enjoy when it's clear that the filmmaker, you know, is just kind of, you know, taking the piss out of it. And I just, you know, yeah, yeah I think that's, that's exactly correct the way you put that. There's only one other joke that I want to highlight before we, we get to choose your own death venture. And that is at the at the big game that the opposing team is played by full-blown adults. 
and the home team is played by what looks like 12 year old children <laughs> it's amazing and it's it's no one comments on it it's just something that happens there is also a, a very unfortunate race baiting joke that occurs in the middle of it that does dampen my enjoyment but the very idea of it and that no one talks about it as it's happening is kind of beautiful that that I really really enjoyed. It's it's very Bugs Bunny. It's very <laughs> especially when all the football players pile on the tiny little football player, and then he sneaks out from under the pile with no clothes on and he's running with the ball. <laughs> like it's very Warner Brothers. <laughs> yeah, God, that's it's good, good stuff. stuff. <laughs> oh, I also like that that the people who were hawking the popcorn and, and hot dogs. <laughs> Just to get throw into a fight. pieces of hot dog at people. And you have a hot dog. Here's the hot dog. Here's the bun. There's mustard in your face. Like and the then belligerent hot dog seller. It's just, yeah. <laughs> For no reason, other than they thought it would None. be funny. <laughs> it's just here's something insane in the middle of this to keep you going. Yep. Yeah, I think that's the thing I enjoy about it most. I think it is a, a worthy rental. It is available on Amazon right now. Um, you do have to rent. I, I assume it might be available on iTunes as well. It is worth the price of admission for horror fans if you have not seen it. I think it's worth your time and attention. Definitely. I, I agree. All right. Well, as we always do, is the per, per our tradition, it's time to choose our own death venture. And here we have several options. We have uh, 13 and a half deaths in this particular film as advertised. Mm -hmm. uh, so you could choose between the following. Uh, dying by a paperclip. Dying by a horsehead bookend. Um, dying in the middle of masturbation, perhaps. I'm not particularly sure how that death works. Uh, death by eggplant. Uh, death uh, by being swatted like a fly because you are one. Uh, death, that's our half. Uh, death <laughs> by uh, choking on a, an eraser. And uh, then uh, death by getting hit in the head with the case of a, uh, of a chainsaw. And then being stuffed in a garbage bag like almost every other dude in the movie. Is there any other ones that I'm missing? Uh, strangled at the end. Oh, that's true. Oh. Yeah. It's you know, you know who wants to die by strangling? How dull! <laughs> Fuck that noise! <laughs> All right, uh, as, as always, I turn to our guest uh, Phil. What say you? Oh man, this is so hard. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with. I'm gonna have to go with death by eggplant, <laughs> because it doesn't look like it hurt. Mm -hmm. Um. That that's pretty much it. It's the only one that like left no no visible wounds, and uh, and uh, it's it's smooth and shiny and uh, looks like a yeah, probably a pleasant way to go. Death by eggplant. Plus, you're dying in the middle of a parade, and who doesn't? Death in the middle of a, and everyone loves a parade. Yeah, even when you're dying in the in an empty uh, hollowed out bowl. All right, yes. Gina, uh, what say you? Uh, body presentation aside, I, I gotta go with the, the bludgeon by a horsehead bookend because I, I cannot think of a more absurd death and, and, and I deserve an absurd death. When, when I go, I want to be in the, in the most ridiculous manner possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just for the sake of uh, variety, I'm going to say swatted like a fly because, uh, -oh. uh, then I, then I would be able to be in that room during the, the filming of that sequence and there's a lot of great fucking jokes in the middle of that all right that well that true. just about does it for us here at the kill by kill podcast hey phil uh where can people hear more from you uh, people can hear more from me on uh one of my podcasts i'm on a deep in bear country a berenstain bear cast uh, i'm also on click it cast uh which i do with john mccoy it's a beverly cleary podcast so uh check those out excellent hey gina where can people find you on the internet I write about 70s and 80s television at tunatonight.wordpress.com. Excellent. Check it out. People do it today. Hey, you want to talk to us? There's a couple ways to do it. Well, you could reach out to us on Twitter, at KillByKillPod. You can send us a note that's longer than 140 characters 
at killbykillpod at gmail.com. And as always, we would encourage you to rate and review us on iTunes. Yes, every uh, podcast asks you to, but we're asking very nicely. And there's another part to it. If you tell us what your favorite death is in the Friday the 13th series, we will read it out on the air. So please do that today. We love each and every one of you. We've passed a milestone in terms of our our downloads here at the Kill by Kill podcast. We're so happy for our old and new listeners. We really appreciate you. Uh, And so for myself, for Phil, for Gina, that's all for tonight. Goodbye, everybody. Click. Did you hang up? (laughs) No, I just said click. Kill by Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.